You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk to me, tell me your side. You're switching sides like a Gemini. You're playing games and now you're hitting my heart like a drum. Yeah, baby. She bangs! She bangs! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore natio. You know, i got to be honest, uh, William Hung was not as bad as I remember him being. It's probably just because it's, you know, at the time, before, uh, you know, 60 billion YouTube videos went up every hour, and about 85 American Idol ripoffs. I mean, he's not good, but I just, I was, it popped into my head, and I thought, this is going to be the worst thing I've ever heard, and it's like, eh, just, just not, I mean, he's not good, but, you know. Still a classic, though, so. Well, today is a very special day because it we're, we're bringing back a classic. And by that I mean I had a pretty cool idea, but I don't have the information in front of me, so we're going to have to call an audible last minute and do something else. So classic. But that's all right, we've got some other fun things to talk about, and we'll save that for Monday. The only reason I'm upset to save it for Monday is because what I wanted to talk about is I did a little bit more in-depth look at um, the roster breakdowns. Kind of went back and looked at the history of who the 53 were, and I tried to use that to inform who might be going bye-bye. And obviously I wanted to do that today because teams are already starting to cut people, and I didn't want to have to come in Monday with 10 people already cut saying, here's my 10. But you can do a lot of stuff with that information anyway, so even if there's some people missing, it's still good to know. Also, and I know I've said this a thousand times, and then I don't do it, I gotta... There's so much stuff. But I'm planning to throw my notes into Patreon. I don't have a ton of perks on Patreon, but that is one of the things that I've said I'm going to do, and I'm planning on doing that. So if you're a patron, look out for that. If not, please consider supporting the show. You can get in for as little as a buck a month. Helps me out a ton. Doesn't hurt you all that much. And once in a while, I remember to do something nice. Otherwise, be sure to subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel, Pack Daddy NFL. That is what I spend my weekends doing now. Make sure you're in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you check out Fan to Fan Network. FTFN on Twitch, fantofannetwork.com, etc., etc. Not a ton of news. I guess Washington does have a, a team name now, although they kind of don't at the exact same time. It's more like they just gave up on coming up with a team name or a logo and instead decided we're not going to have a team name and we're not going to have a logo. We're just the Washington football team, and uh, instead of a logo, we're just going to rip the logo off and slap numbers on the helmets, like, you know, Alabama or something. And at this point, I heard that and just thought, that sounds about right. 
Because I, I just, you know, maybe it's good that it's Washington because nobody cares about Washington anyways. And it's also fitting that it is the Washington, D.C. team. As much as I would love for the capital of the United States to be represented by a competent team, it kind of makes sense that Washington, D.C. is incompetent. It just, it's very fitting. Um, Seattle also added a hockey team by the name of Kraken, which I think we've all come together and recognized. You know, it's, it's interesting because... I had often wondered, is it possible for a team to do something and anybody actually likes it? Or has this just become tradition where we just say that we hate everything that they, you know, NFL comes out with a team, uh, a new hat design, a new color scheme, whatever, and everybody just says that's terrible. And I'm, I started to wonder, although I don't like them, are we just doing this because it's tradition? And then I saw Kraken and I'm like, oh, that's a cool name. And I saw the, the logo and I'm like, that's pretty cool. The colors look good. And then you go on Twitter and everybody likes it. And it's like, yeah, no, it's it's just, it's good. So apparently it's not just that we're all miserable. It's just that the NFL is really just that bad at stuff. Man, why are they so bad at everything? They can't do social media. They can't do design. They can't run websites. They can't discipline correctly. They, they can't do anything right. It's just crazy to me. I'm sure it's a tough job, but you'd think once you'd get something right. They change rules, and it's terrible. The only thing they do is make stuff worse. Which, by the way, Kraken is just kind of awesome. Everything about it is cool. The name is cool. What it is is cool. That SeaWorld roller coaster, fantastic. Also, it wouldn't be that hard to just come up with something this awesome. Right? I mean, you would think... This is this is kind of how I picture if you get some of the best minds in the world because you are a multi-billion dollar you know entity and you went out and paid a bunch of people who are really smart and good at stuff to come up with who is what is our team name going to be it would be something like Kraken the last two teams added to the NFL were the Panthers and the Jaguars apparently the, and and there's nothing wrong with it but apparently the only cool thing we can come up with in the NFL is animals. How many cool animals are left? I mean, they, they couldn't even come up with different, like, species of animals. We just got two different cats. I guess next will be the tigers. Although we already have the Bengals, so okay. We already have tigers, we got lions, we've got panthers, and we got jaguars. We also have eagles, cardinals, which... Wh- it's not even a cool bird. Seahawks, which are fake. And not cool fake like kraken, just fake as in, like, it's not an actual bird. We have ravens. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Falcons. Broncos. So we've got horses, which are not cool. We actually have two kinds of horses because we have broncos and colts. Just the... the oh. We we have a, a Houston team called the Houston Texans, which is another newish team. Texans. As in people of Texas. we got rams, which are not cool animals, but, you know, got to have animals. We have raiders and we have vikings, which are... Pretty close to the same thing. Not that there's anything wrong with those names, but, I mean, we don't need two of them. There's, there's other things we can come up with. Dolphins make sense because it's Miami, although not a very imposing thing. I mean, you would think, like, sharks or something, stingrays, something cool. Oh, and we have buccaneers, so we've got raiders, buccaneers, and vikings, so similar categories. we got buffalo bills which is a buffalo, so half the league is animals. Half of those animals are not even cool animals. The ones that are kind of cool animals are basically the same animals. They're just sharing. Bengals, Panthers, etc., etc. 
You do have the Bears, which are cool animals that somebody isn't ripping off. However, in Chicago, you also have the Cubs. So, I mean, come on. Of the non-animal, non-piratey names, you have Browns. Okay. Cowboys, which is fitting. Packers, let's be honest, not super great. Yeah, you know, they, they pack meat into boxes and stuff. <laughs> okay. Chiefs, which is cool, but I'm sure people think is offensive, so that's going to go bye-bye pretty soon. So we're going to lose one of the only decent names in football, because nobody knows how to think properly. Saints, fitting, I guess. Chargers, I don't really understand. I guess it's electricity, so we have the team with electricity. 49ers is fitting. Weird and kind of annoying that it's numbers, but it works. Patriots is cool. I can dig that, especially given that it's, you know, Massachusetts and whatnot. The Jets are pretty cool, right? Planes that fly around and blow stuff up. Steelers, kind of, you know, like 49ers, like, okay, I understand it. I guess it's regional. And then Titans. Titans Titans might be, like, the best name in football. And it is one of the newer ones. So it, it's... Titans might be the only team name that you look at and just, you know, could possibly be on the level of Kraken. And the Vikings are purple. So even if you want to give them credit, they're one-third of the rating, you know, bad guys that loot and pillage, and they're purple. So, And granted, some of these names are very old, so... Maybe they were kind of cool back in the day. You get no points for being an animal, though. That's just lazy. Yeah, I think of all the teams, the only one that I would give any credit to for being, you know, somewhat creative and just kind of embodying awesomeness would be the um, Titans. Although, butting up a little bit close to the Giants, which is a really dumb name, because Titans are like mythical people that are more powerful and stronger than the gods. Giants are just like tall people. But again, it's an older name, maybe similar. I don't know. We're, I'm leaving it at that. Titans are a good name. I mean, literally, you could just Google like cool mythical creatures, like minotaurs. Just if you Google coolest mythical creatures, they got the popular web searches. The third one is minotaur. It's like a giant muscled up horned thing holding a giant battle axe. Like, that that would be, if not the best team name in, in football, it would slide in just behind Titans. But we're all kind of tired of Titans anyway. But just conceptually. Phoenix is cool, but you can't call a team the Phoenixes. That doesn't really sound as good. Hydra is pretty sweet. Vampires is maybe a little... Mm, zombies is a little over the top. You don't want to go too over the top. You know, you want it to be, like, dark and menacing, but you don't want to be, like, too dark or ridiculous. Like, zombies is too dark and too ridiculous. You don't want to be like the, the Scranton serial killers or anything. That's that's kind of a little too far. Even just dragons. Dragons could be cool. And then, yeah, number one on the list is Kraken. So a simple Google search. Just a simple Google search. I'd have come through this and been like, dude, Kraken, let's do Kraken. Like, all right, cool, let's do Kraken. That took me 17 seconds to figure out Kraken is number one. Popular mechanics. It was top article, number one coolest mythical creature was Kraken. That's how long that took me to come to the same conclusion as that Seattle team. Yet we come up with, you know, how about another animal? But anyways, that's, uh, it is what it is. At the end of the day, it, the NFL ownership kind of just needs to be like a system quarterback. I don't need you to do anything heroic. Just keep this thing moving. Let's not try to think outside of the box because you just break stuff when you do that. Your job 
is to follow the same schedule that was set at your feet, follow the tradition of what everybody told you to do beforehand, and then when football season is about to start, you just make sure that football players show up and play football, you point cameras at it, you blast it to my television so that I can watch it. And if the NFL never evolves for the next hundred years, fine. That's kind of where I'm at with all this. <laughs> the NFL, NHL gets cracking, we get the Washington football team. Sometimes I really wish I liked different sports. I don't. I hate all of them, with the exception of football. It's the only one that isn't terrible, in my opinion. But man, I wish I liked a different one. It's like watching a train wreck every single day of my life. And that's all it's been the last couple of years. It's like America's f- or funniest home videos or whatever. People just do dumb stuff and fall down and smack their face on ceiling fans. I started a podcast just to talk about the Packers. That's it. You got a bunch of owners and players and Goodell and everybody collectively just lighting fires all over the place. They're, they're trying to burn the NFL to the ground. I'm trying to sit here with a smile on my face. So who wants to do a top ten list? <sighs> it's fine. I'm fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. Oh, in other news, uh, Packers decided not to show up. So I think quarterbacks or something were supposed to show up today, and they just didn't. So I, you know. Oh, and the uh, the owners are threatening to shut down training camp if the players don't budge on the money thing. Because again, this is where they draw the line in the sand. All this other stuff was fodder. Like I'll give you this, and I'll give you this, and we'll pretend to fight you, but we're going to give it up because we want to give you as much as possible, so that when we get to the things we care about, um, it's your turn to start giving something. And the players showed up, and they're like, nope, we want that too. And the owners are like, all right, well, now is the part where we play hardball. We're going to take training camp away. And you might think, well, why is that? Why do the players care about that? The biggest concern the players have outside of possibly money, which this directly affects their money, is um, the injury issues of not being able to practice. Not having preseason is bad for their bodies, and it's going to increase the amount of injuries. Not having even training camp and more or less coming in cold and just starting to play football, it's just the injuries are going to be through the roof. Now, is it psychotic to use that as a bargaining chip? Maybe a little bit. And does it mean that there's going to be some retaliation in terms of players saying, look, I, we didn't have any practice, my body's not ready, I'm not playing football? Possibly, yeah. Could it possibly jeopardize the NFL season? Yes, it could. Could not reaching any agreement on any of this cause harm to the NFL season? Yes, it could. So, um, I don't know. We forge, we forge on, I guess. It's another day that I didn't see an article saying the NFL season's canceled, so that's a good day. Because ultimately, at the end of all this, I think we're going to get football, and both the players and the owners will be very, very rich. Depending on how rich and who has to pay what and give what, they still have more money than me and you. So I'm sure they can figure out how to divvy up their millions so that they're able to get a bunch more millions so that we get to watch football. Again, I just have, for either side, no sympathy. And I'm not upset that they're millionaires. That's awesome. Good for them. I wish they were billionaires. I just don't like the whining. And I'll be honest, it's mostly mostly from the player's perspective. Oh, you just don't understand, man. We, we're struggling out here. Oh, you guys just, I tell you what. And I suppose when you just go through college and come out of college and make millions, you don't understand that most people don't have have that as a thing. Some of these guys went out and have had jobs in their life, but a lot of them probably have never really had that. Go to work every day and at the end of the month having zero dollars <laughs> left over after rent and groceries and everything else. And then have to plop down in front of your computer screen and see complaining about their struggle. I have zero problem 
with with wealth. I have a big problem with a lack of gratitude, and I have a big problem with entitlement, especially when you're better off than 99.9999999999% of the world. Your only job, as far as I'm concerned, is to not whine and complain about how hard your life is. That's it. That's the only thing I ask of you. If you can do that, we're good. But anyways, why don't we take a break here, and uh, we'll talk about some different things, not what I wanted to talk about today. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So many of you have probably seen that uh, little picture going around that has a list of quarterbacks, and then on the bottom it has a list of wide receivers, and it says pick your pairing for a Hail Mary, something to that effect. And so I took that picture, and I just scratched out all the other quarterbacks, and I left Aaron Rodgers, and I said fixed it. Because, I mean, look. They come out with these things all the time, and a lot of times as Packer fans we pick our guy, and a lot of times we're right, but there's at least a little bit of debate on it. There's no debate. There's one king of the Hail Mary for all of human history. And so anyways, I threw it up on Twitter as well as some other places, and um, Mr. Basara asked the question, had any of the other four even completed a Hail Mary? He says, we're not counting the fail Mary. So I looked it up. I don't know how reliable it is, but I also don't know... You know, you can hate on Wikipedia if you want, but as far as finding the most random lists in the world, Wikipedia is where it's at. So we have a list of Hail Mary passes in American football. We've got college. We've got professional football. We have a list of unsuccessful Hail Marys. And we have a list of passes often mistakenly referred to as Hail Mary. Because the fact of the matter is Hail Mary is a last-second bomb. It is, as the clock strikes zero, it's one last shot at this thing. It's not a really deep pass. You know, just because you throw it from the 50 to the end zone doesn't mean it's a Hail Mary. For example, they have listed here the Minneapolis Miracle. 
said this is not a Hail Mary because it wasn't a desperation heave into the end zone. It was just a pass. And then a guy missed a tackle and he just ran for a touchdown. But anyways, I'm looking through this and I'm trying to just Google, or excuse me, um, you know, search this article for any of the other people listed on this uh, little dealie here. And so they have listed Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and Russell Wilson. Sure enough, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson, according to this, have never even attempted a Hail Mary. Never even tried one before. Russell Wilson is the only guy that has attempted a Hail Mary, and he's attempted a Hail Mary twice. The first was in 2012 against the Green Bay Packers. This one is technically listed in completed Hail Mary passes. However, it was a terrible call and was actually an interception, so I don't give him credit for that. So that's one interception. There's also 2012. NFC Divisional Playoff Game Seahawks vs. Atlanta Falcons. After a late fourth quarter rally by the Falcons to take a two-point lead, Atlanta attempted a surprise onside kick. However, the play failed. As a result, it set up the Seahawks to attempt a Hail Mary. With two seconds left, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson spiraled a 60-yard pass into the end zone, only to be intercepted by Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones with no time remaining. Also a little bit of insight in terms of uh, which wide receiver you might want out there. So Russell Wilson is 0 for 2. Aaron Rodgers is on here four times. Three of the four were caught for touchdowns. The only one that was not 2015 Minnesota Vikings versus Green Bay Packers. This is the third attempt in 2015, by the way. Reading on, it says, although Aaron Rodgers completed two other Hail Marys in 2015 season, he was not successful on this attempt. In Week 17, the Packers down to the Vikings. 20-13, to 13, Rodgers threw the ball about 50 yards to the end zone, but the pass was knocked down. The victory gave, the Minis- uh, gave Minnesota the NFC North Championship. But the first Hail Mary was against the, uh, the Lions. There was the face mask penalty, which set up with zero seconds left on the clock. One last play. Also, interesting little side note, it is the longest game-winning Hail Mary in NFL history. So again, as far as dubbing the Hail Mary King, that's point number one. The fact that he's even on here multiple times, not to mention three times, not to mention he's three of four. He has a 75% success rate on Hail Mary passes. But how's this for an interesting little tidbit? Take a guess how many Hail Mary passes have been completed in NFL history. Just right now, just off the top of your head. In all of NFL history, the answer to the question is 32. Aaron Rodgers accounts for three out of 32 successful Hail Mary passes. 9.4% of all Hail Marys. So, yeah, there's no question about this. I don't really care what you think about a person's arm strength or anything else, if anybody picks anybody other than Aaron Rodgers for a Hail Mary, you're, you're, you're delusional, or you just don't realize what he's done with his career. I don't, I, I mean, I, I've never seen anything so definitive in my life. It, it, it's almost as if you wanted to say, you know, play breaks down, your quarterback has to take off and run from the 50 and get a touchdown. Who do you pick? Lamar, Mahomes, Rodgers. Watson or, or Wilson. And even that, I mean, these guys have some potential. They've got a little bit of mobility at least. But the answer is Lamar. There's no, it's not a question. There is no question about that. Lamar's the guy for that. There's no point in even putting the other four guys on the list. Same is true with these Hail Marys. He is today and will forever be the Hail Mary King. He accounts for nearly 10% of all Hail Mary completions. He is a 75% success rate on Hail Marys. He holds the longest Hail Mary in NFL history. 
I that's that's just one of those things that's never going to be broken. I mean, I guess it could be if that becomes like a common occurrence down the line. Maybe it's like a hallmark of a team that's like really bad. You get like Josh Allen or something. Bills are just always down. Guy can launch it 70 yards and they're like, you know what? If we're losing, we're finishing games with bombs to the end zone. Rodgers might lose longest Hail Mary and total completed, but you still got to beat 75%. So even if you just start launching balls down there last second every game, you're not you're not going to beat 75%. So anyways, I thought that was some fun perspective on how really amazing it is. And, and, and it's important to do that because we do lose perspective. I've talked a lot about how we're kind of a, a bit of a spoiled franchise. And one of the negatives of that is, is constantly looking back and saying, man, I wish I'd appreciated that person more. And I don't want to look back and say, man, I wish we would have appreciated Aaron Rodgers more. I wish we would have appreciated Devontae more. I don't want to wait until we don't have any wide receivers or don't have a good quarterback or have a terrible offensive line before we start acknowledging how great I mean, even the offensive line of Bakhtiari, um, Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, and Ricky Wagner. Even if Wagner's on the downslope and Billy Turner's not very good, it's still a pretty solid offensive line that can get a whole lot worse. I don't want to look back and, and not remember how great Aaron Jones was. right? If A.J. Dillon doesn't turn out to be that great of a running back and we move on from Aaron Jones and it's back to another 5,000 years of not having a good running back, like my entire life before, well, I mean, there, there's been a couple good ones, but it's been a struggle. You know, Zadarius, Kenny Clark, maybe one of these days we'll get a good linebacker, and when that happens, hopefully we'll appreciate him too. So the final thing I wanted to look at, um, talked about it a little bit a long time ago when we first looked at who our free agents were, um, but Eli Berkowitz, not sure who he is, but somebody tagged me on it. He went on Twitter and said, The Packers got themselves a steal in Rick Wagner. In 12 games last year, Wagner allowed only three sacks, four hits, and committed three penalties for two years, $11 million. That's a bargain. And then he's got some uh, highlights here. So I thought we'd talk about it. You know, in reality, that is a big part of the success of our team. If, if he's a terrible football player, it's going to hurt our chances of winning. It hurts, you know, as I've said several times, offensive line is important. Why? Because you can't run and you can't pass without a good offensive line. Pretty sure that's all an offense does. So let's get the concerning portion out of the way right away. Um, As far as PFF grades go, Rick Wagner has been a solid tackle for the Detroit Lions for a very long time. Also, former Wisconsin Badger, so that's pretty cool to be able to bring him home. He is actually originally from West Dallas, Wisconsin, so he is a Wisconsinite uh, from Milwaukee, went to the Badgers and is now back with the Packers. So it's very, very cool that we were able to get him here. But um, concerning thing, just glancing over PFF grades, I like to start there to get kind of a baseline. Again, 60 is average, 70 is good, 80 is very good, 90 is elite. 50 being, I kind of made up the terms, but it's, it's, that's what it is. Since 2013, with Baltimore is where he started, actually. 76, 80, 66, a little bit of a blip there. 74, and then he goes to Detroit, 75-71. Last year, 59. It was not only his worst year, it was his worst year by a lot. The one year that he was down a little bit was a 66, which is high average, getting relatively close to good. This is below average. Now, the common thought here is, well, he was injured that year, and that's why. The problem is, he never played well all year. Week 1, week 2, week 3, week 4, he played poorly. According to PFF, if you don't put any stock in it, then you know we'll move on from here. 
I know especially offensive line play, um, people tend to have a problem with PFF grades. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, in general, I don't think it's that hard to figure out win or lose. Well, you don't know exactly what the call was. That's true. And as far as, like, getting up to the next level and all that kind of stuff, but if you're trying to get to the next level and get a guy, it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do. Did you do it, though? Did you get there in time? Or if it's just man-to-man, it really just comes down to did you beat your guy or not? You either did or you didn't. Now, we can look at sacks and pressures and all that kind of stuff, and and at the end of the day, if Aaron Rodgers is able to get a pass off without getting sacked or pressured, if Rick Wagner loses against somebody, but he does a well enough job that Aaron Rodgers is not impacted, I guess that's good enough. So in a sense, those numbers are the only thing that matter. Rick Wagner could be a rock that's terrible at being a tackle, but he's a rock that people keep tripping over and can't get to Aaron Rodgers, so I guess that's fine. But I do worry, at 30 years old, when you have this big of a dip, and, I mean, he didn't have one good game all year. Not one. If if 70 is good, his highest game was a 69.3 against the Washington Redskins, who have, excuse me, the Washington football team, who have nobody. He had five games in which he graded out average, five games in which he graded out below average, two games in which he graded out poorly in the 40s. So I am a little concerned. I am concerned that it's not just an in- injury issue. If you look strictly at his pass blocking grades, he had a terrible rookie year, but uh, after that, 81, 68, 78, 78, 75, 60. So basically, he was back to his rookie year. The only real difference between his rookie year and this past year is the fact that in his rookie year, he was pretty solid as a run blocker, which seemingly lasted two years, and then he just completely fell off. And this past year was his worst year ever run blocking. Which was a question I had. Are they going out trying to find somebody who's a little bit better as a run blocker now that we're going to be leaning on that a little bit more? The answer to that question is a resounding no. They're still going out getting pass blockers. Which, if you're going out and and budget buying, you don't want to spend whatever your budget is on a guy that can run block but can't pass block. Because regardless of how badly you want to run the ball, you have to block for Aaron Rodgers, first and foremost. That is the most important thing. If you can also block for the run, great. But that is no matter what your team is. I don't care if you're the 49ers, the Ravens, the Titans, the you know Vikings, Packers, Bears. You, you block for your quarterback first. Um, and in terms of, well, maybe he had some lingering injuries or whatever, I don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. If you look at the injury reports for the team, Rick Wagner had a clear record. He was, he was no injury. He wasn't questionable, nothing, until uh, week six. He popped up as questionable, and he did play pretty terribly in that game. So even if we write that off, and that, by the way, is against the Green Bay Packers, so you could also write that off as uh, Zadarius wrecking his world. But he jumped right back on the horse. In other words, he was fine week 7, week 8, week 9, week 10. But then he was out against Dallas, which, again, is a new injury. And I even look back at articles. So there's here's an article from uh, 10 months ago, Mitchell Kirkland, Detroit Lions offensive line woes and future fixes, and they talk about how the offensive line looked terrible and they said well taylor decker who is the left tackle has a lingering back injury but they said nothing about rick wagner in fact rick wagner was the counterpoint to why they were so poorly poor here's what it says taylor decker was guilty of four penalties not to mention that he gave up seven pressures and two sacks maybe he was having a bad day reports say that he was dealing with unspecified back injury but his right tackle counterpart rick wagner gave up just as many pressures too in other words he doesn't have an injury and he was terrible also so what is going on with our offensive line that was the implication meaning he wasn't injured so again similar to christian kirksey where it's like well when he's healthy he's great 
No, that doesn't fly, man. He had a bad year. His first week out was week 10. His first time being even slightly injured, so that it showed up on a report, report was week 6, and he played. He missed the uh, November 17th game against Dallas. He came back and played against Washington, Chicago, and Minnesota. Then he missed uh, weeks uh, 15, 16, and then he came back and played the Packers. Uh, he was questionable with a knee injury. So there was the last three. So he missed three games he was questionable in two. He played the rest. And by the way, again, a lot of these injuries came toward the back half of the season. That doesn't explain when he was perfectly healthy at the beginning of the season why he struggled. So I'm not saying he's a bad tackle. I just don't like the excuse of, well, when he's injured, that's, it's just really tiring. Because it's not just, it's everybody. I listen to, not trying to trash anybody, but, you know, listen to other people who are, hyping up their teams and why so-and-so is going to be so good. And it's like, well, when he's healthy, and I just hear it so often. Stop using that as an excuse. I mean, if there's actual real solid evidence, like, you know, they're really, really good for week one, two, three, four, five, then they get an ankle injury in week six, seven, eight, they struggle, and then they're off the injury list and it's, you know, good, 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 good again. That's pretty clear evidence that the injury hindered them a certain degree in that game. But you have to be able to prove that out. You can't just say he had a bad year, he had an injury that year, therefore he was only bad because of injury. That doesn't work. That's not enough that's not enough work on your part. That's just not how that works. You can't backdate injuries. Well he was terrible the first six weeks because he was injured in week ten. <laughs> no. So again, it's a concern. He's a very good tackle, but we saw and we heard just in the article I wrote, what's going on with the offensive line? Why are people playing so poorly? And then they cut Rick Wagner, and then we signed Rick Wagner. You may remember a guy by the name of Jimmy Graham, who was a very good football player, who went to play for Seattle, wasn't quite as good anymore, but he still was getting touchdown, got cut again, and then we picked him up, and he suddenly wasn't good anymore. Football players do hit a wall. They get to a point where it's just like it's just not working anymore. And I'm not saying I know that's the case with Rick Wagner. I'm not saying anything like that. But it is entirely possible that he has hit that wall and he has completely fallen off and we are not getting the 74-75 overall Rick Wagner. We're getting the 59-60 version of Rick Wagner. Now, the good news. The bad version of Rick Wagner, as you heard, accounted for three sacks, four hits, 25 hurries, three penalties. That's not terrible. David Bakhtiari accounted for two sacks, seven hits, and 26 hurries. Pretty comparable. Brian Balaga, in fact, who graded out way higher, gave up four sacks, four hits, and 18 hurry. So less pressures overall, but one additional sack he gave up. So Brian Balaga is better, unless you just think sacks are the be-all, end-all. But fairly comparable. The one thing that is slightly concerning, (laughs) if you look at um, total pressures, which to be honest is completely shocking, but look at total pressures for the NFC North. Um, Number one is Billy Turner. Number three is Taylor Decker, and tied with him at number three is David Bakhtiar. Um, tied for number five is Rick Wagner. So top of the list seems to be mostly Packers. But even penalties, um, again, Rick Wagner just in the NFC North was tied for 15th with three penalties. David Bakhtiari had 11 penalties. Elton Jenkins had eight. So he's solid on that front as well. If we look at PFF's uh, what they call pass blocking efficiency, which is looking at sacks, hits, and hurries, but weighting them, in other words, sacks are more negative than hits, which are more negative than hurry. They come out with their own little metric called pass blocking efficiency. Again, looking at the NFC North, 
Um, the highest graded Packer is actually Elton Jenkins, who was fourth on the list behind James Daniels, Frank Ragnow, and Cody Whitehair. You're going to get mostly interior guys because it's you know there's less pressures on the interior, but still solid for Elton Jenkins. David Bakhtiari ranks 12th. Rick Wagner is 20th out of 25th. There is also ESPN's uh, pass blocking win rate. Unfortunately, I can't find just a full list, but it is worth interest uh, worth looking at. Uh, David Bakhtiari was number one with that metric, 96%. The next highest being 94, which is a three-way tie there with Andrew Whitworth, Kelvin Beecham, and Ronnie Stanley. But neither Brian Balaga or Rick Wagner are on this list. They're outside of the top 10, so I don't have much more information than that. Pass block win rate as a guard, Elton Jenkins was eighth. Again, Elton Jenkins just uh, doing a fantastic job. Actually, one spot behind Quentin Nelson, which is just great company to be in. And then the number one pass-blocking center, Corey Lindsley. So we've got, according to ESPN, the number one tackle, the number one center, and a number eight guard. It's a solid offense. And that's what hurts me about the thought of possibly losing, you know, our offensive line. Because I just, I don't know if we're keeping David Bakhtiari, and I don't know if we're keeping Corey Lindsley. I don't know if we can. I would absolutely love to. I just, I don't know if that's possible. His win rate, by the way, Corey Lindsley was 98%. It's actually tied with J.C. Treader, another fantastic player that we let go. Understandably, but still. They also have team pass rush win rate. We're getting kind of away from the question here, but while we're here, they have the Packers as uh, ninth. 47% of the time, the offensive line as a whole wins. And you would expect that to be relatively low because you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I completely lied. That was pass rush win rate. The Packers were ninth. They have the Packers number one at 72%, which again, you would expect it to be lower, but yeah, probably not below 50% because your quarterback isn't pressured more than 50% of the time. That makes a lot more sense. But man, that's 72%. The Ravens are second with 69%, and then the Colts are at 65%. That is, that is a massive difference. I mean, it's just, it's, it's dominance well beyond anybody else. I mean, the Ravens at 69% is pretty dominant. You look at 4th, 5th, 6th, it's 63, 63, 63, 62, 62. So it's all, you know, like the top are all right in that range. The Packers are 72. It's just, it's a giant leap. we got to keep this line together, man. It, it's so crucial. It really is. And I'm going to reiterate saying that offensive line is important. Even if we, even if in a, a mythical universe where we can keep David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley, and obviously Elton Jenkins isn't going anywhere, I still think offensive line might be the most important position to pick. As desperately as I would love a new linebacker, and as much as I would like to add a, a slightly better number two wide receiver, although again, Devin Funches kind of fits in line with a pretty normal wide receiver too, as does Alan Lazard, assuming he can keep up what he was doing. But just, it, we as fans wildly underestimate how good a, how important a dominant offensive line is. You know, look at the offensive lines when we won Super Bowls. Look at when we were a dominant offense, a dominant team, Find a dominant Green Bay Packers team that did not have a good offensive line. I mean, just, especially if we start investing in running backs. You know, even back in the day when we had great offensive linemen, usually we didn't have very good running backs. Imagine having a dominant offensive line that's blocking for an elite quarterback, throwing to an elite wide receiver, and that offensive line is also blocking elitely for a really good running back. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on. I was supposed to be done a long time ago. Gets me excited to think about, though. As, as much as offensive line is a boring pick, man, having a dominant offensive line is just something special. And we're almost all the way there. Billy Turner's not quite cutting it. Rick Wagner probably isn't going to be super elite. And I'm fine with him just doing what he can do. But, man, going out and getting another tackle next year would just be 
fantastic. But anyways, I got to go. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. Again, Pack Daddy NFL. There's links everywhere. It's on my Twitter. It's on the Facebook group, the Facebook page. If you don't know where it is, go in the Facebook group and ask somebody. They'll give you a link. Ask me. But that's what I'm going to be doing this weekend. I just last night set up my studio all different. I got my lighting all set up. So hopefully the quality will be marginally better. And I'm hoping to rip off a bunch of videos so that we can uh, have a bunch for next week and this weekend. But uh, otherwise, I will catch you Monday. You folks, enjoy your weekend. I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.